Here's what I feel like 2019 is. It's a year to soar. It's a year to soar. That, that God's going to begin to elevate us to places where we're going to begin to soar over things that may have previously hindered us. But four words, and, and I wrote Pastor Matt yeah, uh, last, last Sunday. God put on my heart to begin to specifically pray for certain pastors. And, and I'm not going to say it's, it's, it's just my favorite pastors. They're some of their, my dearest friends. But I just believe that God put some people on my heart, some pastors, some churches, and to begin to pray for them. So I wrote him a text, hey, I'm praying for you right now. And, and here's what I was praying, that God would begin to create expansion, explosion, uh, revelation, and visitation. And that God would begin to, see, we think about expansion, right? Like, man, we're going to grow, right? We're going to grow. Let me explain something. There is a reason. Let's just say if I was doing an expansion to my house, if I'm knocking down walls to add more square footage, there's got to be reason that I'm adding it. So if I'm adding a bedroom, it's because I'm having a baby or my mother-in-law's moving in, right? <laughs> and, and not that that's happening. Don't prophesy that into my life. I love my mother-in-law, but I love her at her house. Um, but you expand for a reason. Right? For a purpose. It's not just about getting more. It's about getting more for something else. Right? And so the, 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 the whole explosion is not just like, boom, things explode. But things begin to explode inside of us. Amen? Can I tell you? Let me just be honest with you. The church does not need bigger buildings. The church doesn't need bigger parking places, more services. You know what the church really needs? More people that hunger and thirst after Jesus. Yeah. Come on. Because let me explain something real quick. Now, this is a church that is exploding, if you will, that, that, that you've grown. I mean, you guys have, are growing, and, and when you should be down and dipping in numbers, you're, you're surpassing numbers. But let me explain something. If you have people that hunger and thirst after God... They don't care who's up here playing. They don't care who's up here preaching. They don't care if they have to stand up on the, uh, along the wall or sit on the floor. People that hunger and thirst after God just want to be near him. Come on, that's good. Right? Because I read in Mark chapter 2 that was when they heard that Jesus was in the house, that the house was so full that there was not even room near the doors. And I see hallway space where it could be filled with people. And the reality of it is, is we want comfort. But I don't believe that God's going to begin to release comfort. I believe we, we recently built, um, like we have this area. It was just in our house. We weren't using it for anything. And so I, I've been given a lot of books. So I created, I want to say a library. It's not like a public library. It's not that big. It's just, a, it's like a room. And I put some seats in there to spend time with God. And just, I use it as my prayer time. Well, the other day, there was a suitcase that, that I had been using, and it kind of broke, and, and uh, it's one of my favorite suitcases, a lot of stories in it, so I didn't want to just throw it out, but I, I just had it sitting there, and, and I remember going, you don't travel with a suitcase if you plan on staying. And I remember just this plea came out literally in the closing hours of 2018, God, don't just visit your church. Stay. I want you to unpack your bags. I want you to, I want you to move in, right? Yeah. Because if he moves in, we don't have to ask him to come. He's already there. Amen. We don't have to try to set pre, uh, uh, 
services and and put uh, planning together for things that are like prayer meetings because we need we need prayer meetings what would happen if god just showed up and people are drawn to him and all of a sudden pastor matt you you, you get a call at like 12 o'clock saying hey listen the doors of the church are closed can i just can you come open it up i just want to spend some time in prayer yeah. that's what happens when god shows up amen? Mm -hmm. amen and so that's what god spoke to me but this is here's 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 where it's all summed up, okay? This is what I believe that God's doing in 2019 for his church. Have you ever been, like, somebody looks at you or maybe a friend, a spouse or somebody, and they go, hey, psst. Hey, psst. Come here. You know that that's one of the, it used to be one of the most annoying things to me. <laughs> like, just tell me. Just tell me. No, it, it's a secret. Well, then text it to me. I don't want to go there. I believe with everything inside, God's going, Psst. And the reason being is he wants you closer. Mm -hmm. And he's going to share some things to you. That it's not that he doesn't want to share with other pe people. I believe that people don't want to hear what he has to say. Mm -hmm. And I want that's not a negative thing. But I believe it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. So opening your Bibles with me to Psalms 27. Psalms 27. I, I just want to preach to you a very simple word called knowing God. we got to know God. Psalms 27 verses 4 and verses 8. And as you find it in your scriptures, would you just close your eyes? Let's pray that prayer. If you wouldn't mind praying this with me, if you're ready for God to speak to you, say, Jesus, Jesus. tonight. Tonight is my night. Is my night. Speak to me. Speak to and me. And transform me. And transform by me. Your word. By your word. Give me eyes to see. Give me eyes to see. Ears to hear. Ears to hear. And a heart and a mind. And a heart and mind. That's ready. That's ready. Willing. Willing. And able. And able. To believe and receive. To believe and receive. Every word. Every word. That you would speak. That you would speak. Into our existence. Into our existence. We give you full permission. We give you full permission. And access. And access. To do what only you can do. To do what only you can do. But from this moment. On, but from this moment on, have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. 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 Psalms 27, verses 4 and 8. Now, now, how many of you know what a bucket list is? Y'all know what a bucket list is? Right? You know what? You know what? Just is a little bit, I don't want to say frustrating to me, but why is it that we have a list of things that we want to do before we die? Why don't we just have a list of things that we want to do while we live? Right? Why, do it, why does it have to be that, that we're looking at it like we're running out of time? How about we just enjoy the time that we have? Right? Amen. Well, David is basically doing a bucket list, but he's doing a spiritual bucket list. And in these bucket lists, when people begin to put together and compile and comprise bucket lists, what they do is there's always certain things that are more prioritized. It kind of just float to the top, things that you definitely want to do, that this is the most important. Well, David is doing this bucket list, if you will, and all of a sudden he has this one thing that, that if nothing else is done, this one thing has to happen. This one thing has to occur. And here is King David... A man that we know as a man after God's own heart. Here's his spiritual bucket list. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. Psalms 27 verses 4. One thing I desire of the Lord. That I, may, that I will seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome, right? Mm -hmm. The number one priority of David 
that not only is it a desire, but it's also causing him to enter into a pursuit. He says, one thing I desire of the Lord, that will I seek. Let me explain something. If you have a desire and you're not willing to seek it, it's going to be nothing more than wishful thinking. It's going to be great motive, but it's never going to be accomplished. You have to be willing to seek the things that you desire. David says, one thing I desire, that thing I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. My, my life. Let, me, let me just ask you a question. Was he talking about an address? What was he talking about? Was he talking about heaven? Right? Now let me explain something. Heaven without the presence of God is hell. I don't care how nice of a place it is. He was talking about a presence, not a place. He says, one thing that I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Where God is, I want to be. I want to be right in the middle of God. And, and, and I don't care about anything else. Then all of a sudden, watch. Watch what David says. One thing I desire, that thing I will seek. And then all of a sudden, God quickly responds. How many of you know God will respond to us and give us the desires of our heart? Watch how God responds in verses 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, O Lord, your face will I seek. Now watch this real quick. God gives directions to his presence. He says, you want, you want to experience my presence? That one desire, the thing that you're going to seek to dwell in my house all the days of your life? Okay, Seek my face. And if you seek my face, you'll find me. Can I tell you that I believe with everything inside, those coordinates are still valuable and as real. God's presence is still completely connected to his face. And that if we'll seek him, we will find him. David said, okay, you said seek your face. Your face, O oh Lord, will I seek. See, we are called first to God and then we are called of God. Too many people, let me explain. There's, there's, there's two types of people in church to this day. Two types of people in church. We categorize them however you want. This is not Jamie judging. This is not. But there's two types of people that attend church. Those that are after the presence of God and those that are after the things of God. Now let me just give you a quick little understanding. Those that are after the presence of God will never have to go without the things of God. But those that are after the things of God will never experience the presence of God. Because as long as you're seeking the hands of God for what he can give you, you will never find the face. But I promise you, if you find his face, his hands are directly attached. That's good. See, we seek his hands for what he can give us, his feet for where he can take us. But if we seek his face, he'll... Give us his hands, his feet, but it'll also reveal to his heart. And you know what the heart of God is? People. You know what I found out when I was just spending time in prayer? I didn't like people much. I'm just going to be honest with you. You're talking an ex-drug dealer. As long as you gave me money, I didn't care. I didn't care. I didn't like people. But then all of a sudden, the more I spent time with God, as I fell more in love with Jesus, I fell in love with what Jesus loved. And what did Jesus love? And all of a sudden, I'd be willing to give up everything just to go tell people about him. See, whatever, 
We desire, we must be willing to pursue, and a desire for the Lord will naturally uh, produce a willingness to be obedient to the Lord, which will progress into a pursuit of the Lord. I said this last night, and I'm saying it again because the ladies weren't here, but an obedience to the, the uh, obedience to the Lord must become our obsession, not our option. Mm. Yes. Let, me, let me give you a, a definition of the word obedience. An act or instance of obeying. An act or instance of obeying. The second definition is the quality or state of being obedient. Both of them are obedient, but just I want, I want us to decide where we will be. An act or instance of obeying. That's still obedient, but that is completely reliant upon you receiving something for your obedience. So I have this demon-possessed dog. His name's Romeo. <laughs> now, I live in Colorado, and, and where I live, it's like open country. We have tumbleweeds, jackrabbits. We have rattlesnakes. It's beautiful. We look at the mountains. It's awesome. But I didn't realize when you name your dog, you also are, are giving him a definition. And the, the name Romeo, we thought, it's sweet, you know, Romeo. I didn't name him. My, my, my daughter's named him, oh, Romeo, we'll have to get a little Juliet. And I'm like, no. Um, <laughs> but I found out, you know what the word Romeo means? To roam. <laughs> I have a little miniature schnauzer that thinks that he can hang out with coyotes. <laughs> and and this, this guy will just take off running and he'll disappear for like two days. He'll be full of stickers and thorns. And he is just, he's not, he's a house dog. This is not like a, a, a German shepherd or, or some type of a field dog. This is a little dog that's got his ears chopped and he's got this haircut and his little nice beard. And I found out that I could stand there at the door and scream, Romeo, get over here. And he just keeps on going. <laughs> but if I say, Romeo, you want a bone? <laughs> He will stop in his tracks. See, you may look at it and he'll run back to me. Like, okay, let's do this. And he'll run back and you may look, well, what an obedient dog. His obedience is completely reliant upon receiving something for his obedience. That's the, the quality or the state, the act or the instance of obeying, right? The act or the instance. He's only being obedient in that moment because he's no, he knows he's going to get something that he really wants. <laughs> but if I don't say bone, he's not very obedient. Can I tell you, I don't want my relationship with Jesus and my obedience to him to be completely reliant upon him having to do something in order for me to do what he asked. I want to be the second one, the quality or state of being obedient, that I'm obedient no matter what. Listen to what John says. Now, this gets, this gets hard. Can I just, I'm just going to let the word be the bad guy, okay? So I'm glad the offering's already taken. Thank you very much. But we're going to let the, I just believe that the word can offend us. It doesn't need our help to do the work. So here's where we judge how whether, whether or not we know God, all right? Because there's a lot of people saying, man, I know God, I know God. Okay, here's how you judge that. You ready? 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Now, by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... 
Truly the love of God is perfected in him, and by this we know that we are in him. He who, he who abides in him ought himself also to walk as Jesus walked. Now, how many of you walk like Jesus? Now, now, I'm not talking about with a little bit of a sway. I'm talking about, let me, let me break down. Do you know that the word in the Greek for walk also means live? So watch this. Remember in Mark chapter, uh, let me give you an example. Mark chapter 2, when the, the paralyzed man is being lowered down through, when Jesus, they rip off the roof and they lower the paralyzed man down to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and he says, which is easier to say to this man to your sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? But then he goes on and he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He looked at the man and he said, get up and walk. We look at it like he was just speaking to his physical stature. He wasn't. He would have said this. He would have said a, he would have said a, a, a word back then that would have said, get up and live. Mm -hmm. So watch this for a moment. We are to live as Jesus lived. So how do we live as Jesus lived? We allow Jesus to live in us. See, the Bible says that we no longer live. The old man is dead and gone. Behold, the new man comes forth. What happens when we give our life to Jesus, we put to death the old sinful nature. But now we allow Jesus to live in and through us. And when we do not do what Jesus tells us to do or we're being disobedient or we do what we want to do or the flesh. How many of you know the flesh will resurrect? All of a sudden, that's when conf confession, that's when conviction comes in. And we say, God, forgive us. Make sure that the old man, that's why Jesus says every day, daily, you've got to crucify your flesh. You know what I found out, though? We will never follow or obey someone we do not know or trust. That's not just a white van promise. I'm talking about, it's not just stranger danger. We do not follow or people, we do not follow or obey people that we do not know or trust. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the strong man boast in his strength or the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. I was in the Portland airport I was at a service in Kelso, Washington. God showed up. I mean, there were physical healings taking place. It was just one of those cool services. And, and the pastor came up to me and said, Hey, Jamie, we're working in the altars, Pastor Matt, and praying for people. And he said, Hey, listen, Jamie, you've got to get to the airport. You're going to miss your flight. And I was like, Hey, just listen, give, give me five more minutes. Give me 10 more minutes. And he said, All right. So all of a sudden, five minutes turned into 10 minutes, and then 10 minutes turned into 20 minutes. And he looked at me and he said, If you don't leave right now, you're going to miss your flight. I said, Okay, just give me 10 more minutes. Because, man, I liked seeing what God was doing. So all of a sudden, I looked at him. I said, we better go. And he says, there's no way you're making your flight. There's no way. You got a 30-minute drive, and your flight leaves in 45 minutes. And I'm like, favor ain't fair. We're going to get on that plane. Watch God work. Well, I get to the plane. I, or I get to the airport. I walk up to the Alaska ticket counter, and, and there's this guy by the name of Paul. He's, he kind of has a really cool haircut like mine, and he's got these glasses. <laughs> And I said, hey, I'm on this flight from Seattle or from Portland to Denver. And he says, you're not getting on that flight. And I said, no, I need to get on that flight. See, I only had one night at home. I'd been gone for six days. I had one night at home. And then I had to get on the plane the next day and fly out for four more days. I said, you don't understand. I need to get on this flight. He says, there is absolutely no way you're getting on this flight. 
And, he, and I told him, I said, man, God was working. And he was just looking at me. And I'm, I felt a resurrection moment. I don't know if you've ever felt that, where your flesh starts coming alive. You start getting a little bit sharper. I wasn't cursing. I wasn't doing anything like that. But I could tell I was getting angry. Because he wasn't going to give me my way. And in the middle of my resurrection, this little lady walks up to me and she said, that looks like, or she goes, excuse me, sir, that is a beautiful shirt. And I'm like, what? This little old lady flirting with me. I'm trying to resurrect right here. And I'm like, what? And she goes, that looks like a church going shirt. And I'm like, my Christian camouflage fell off. I'm exposed. Now I got to be holy like bless God. Hallelujah. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, it is. And I had been just almost point of screaming at Paul saying, I need on this plane now. I don't care. Call your manager. Call your supervisor. And all of a sudden, she said, that looks like a church going shirt. I said, ma'am, it is. I said, I'm a preacher. And he said, you're a what? <laughs> mm, that hurts. And all of a sudden, I said, ma'am, I said, Paul, I'm sorry, man. I said, I said, man, I just, I, I need to get home. And she looked at me and she looked at me and said these words. I told her, I said, man, I just got done preaching. God was moving. And she goes, I'm so hungry for the word of God. Wow. And I said, well, let me pray for you real quick. So it looks like I got seven hours in the airport right now. <laughs> and she said, uh, no, you can't pray for me because Alaska Airlines has a policy that you, we, that you can't pray for us or, or, or like anything religious. She said, but you can't pray for me, but if you talk to me, what did you preach? And I said, what? And she goes, well, Alaska has all these policies, and one of the policies is if a customer's talking to us, we can't interrupt them, we can't stop them, and we can't walk away. She said, so what you preach? And I'm like, man, we need to have those rules in church, right? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And she goes, what did you preach? And this scripture came to mind. And I just kind of paraphrased it and I said, you know what? The Lord don't care about what you have. He don't care about what you, what you can do. He don't care about what you know. What he cares about is, do you know him? And I basically said this. He, he, God don't care about your bank account. God don't care about your education. God don't even care about your strength. He cares about your relationship with him. And I, right in the middle of this Portland airport, I started preaching. And there's about 30 people that gathered around me, and Paul's just kind of staring at me. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I preached, and this little woman fell to her knees, started weeping. And I said, listen, I feel God in this place. And I said, but do, does everybody in this room know, or does everybody here know God? And I said, because all you have to do is ask him to be your Lord and Savior, and you get to know God. And it's, it's a journey. And I started praying, and... She gets up, she hugs me, and all of a sudden people are like, man, that was a great word. That was pretty awesome. I've never seen anybody preaching in an airport before. And all of a sudden I turn around like, oh, yeah, this is all good. And I turn around, there's Paul. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, are you for real? Like, are you for real? And I said, Paul, listen, man, I, I apologize. I said, man, I just need to, I, I was trying to get home. I said, I pushed the timelines to the limit. I know I missed the plane. It's not your fault. It's my fault. He said, I'm not talking about that. He says, are you for real that God wants me to know him? I said, yes. And he said, well, then I better rethink my, my stance. And I said, what's that? He said, I'm an atheist. He said, but if what you're saying is real and what I'm feeling is real, he said, I need to get right, don't I? 
I said, Paul, you need to get right. And he said, well, what do I need to do? He said, I got a break in about 15 minutes. All of a sudden, his supervisor walks up and says, Paul, you go take care of what you need to take care of. And I literally, they opened up the back door. I went under the counter and went into this office and led Paul to the Lord. Cool story, right? Let me give you the aftermath. Three years later, I'm preaching in a camp in Antelope, in Antelope um, Oregon. I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere. And I'm preaching, and there's about 500 kids. Well, these two girls, I tell that story. These two girls come up, and they were like, does Paul work at Alaska Airlines? Does he have glasses, kind of hair, bald like you? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, he's our volleyball coach. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And they're like, he paid for us to be here. He tells a story about how this crazy preacher came and started preaching in the airport. And that was the day that he gave his life to Jesus. He's our volleyball co coach, and he paid for both of us to be at this camp. And last night, both of us gave our lives to Jesus. And I'm sitting there going, how cool is God that I'm getting to see the fruit of one man encountering God. What if I would have made my plane? What if? Now, I, yes, there were a lot of things that had to take place. But, but what if I would have missed it? Can I tell you, I just want to be obedient to God. And sometimes my obedience to God means that I have to reject being obedient to me. I may not get what I want in order to do what he wants. See, Philippians chapter 3 verses 10 tells us the whole reason why we're alive. And that is that I may know him. Mm. Do you know that? That God caused breath to enter your lungs today and caused your heart to be for one thing. And that is to know him and know him more. You know what's crazy is God's the only person you won't ever get on his nerves. Do you know that God's the only person that he can't get enough of you. He's jealous for you. See, our purpose, anybody know what the definition of purpose is? Purpose means the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. So our purpose in this life is to know him and out of knowing him will make him known. So check this out. One of my favorite scriptures I've come to, to love is in the book of Colossians chapter 1. There's this home church, right? And they're growing. And Paul, Paul's just basically this apostle that, that he's, he's just sowing, sending people and, and discipling and training up and mentoring people. Well, he hears about this church, this home church that is exploding. It's expanding. It's, it's in Laramie. And, and it started, it, it, nobody was supposed to go to that building and, and because it's way out of town and nobody goes over there. Nobody was that far. And their sign was even ugly at one time. <laughs> but all of a sudden, it's exploding, and Paul hears about it, and he says, he writes this letter, he pins this letter. In, in today's society, he would have dropped a little tweet. He would have sent a little Snapchat. He sent a text, but basically, here's this letter he pinned, and he says this in Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we've heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. And ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. But then he gives these four, I mean, they're just key components that we need to, and ever since I've 
The reason I love this is because I've started to pray these components into me. Paul started praying these into new believers, and I said, God, pray them into me. Paul prays these four things. Watch what he prays. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. That you may be fully pleasing to him. That you may be fruitful in every good work. And watch the fourth one. That you may increase in the knowledge of God. Paul in the above scripture is praying one of the most powerful prayers of growth for believers. To what? walk worthy of the Lord. What does walk mean? Live. What is live? He's saying live in such a way. Live in such a way that you bring glory and honor to God in everything you say and everything that you do. Yes. I love what it says. It says take your everyday ordinary life and you're eating, you're sleeping, you're going around, you're going to work and place it before God as an, as a, as an offering of worship. Mm. You know what's so crazy? I tell teenagers this all the time. The next time you turn in your homework assignment, what you're really saying is, God, I think this is what you're worth. That'll change things. <laughs> but it can be applied to every, every area of our life, our chores, the way we serve each other, the way we treat each other. That's why I, I, I'm not a huge fan of sarcasm because how can it bring glory to God by causing someone else pain or insecurity by making me feel better about myself? See, we want to take everything we do and place it before him See, Leonard, there was, a, there was a revivalist that said it this way. Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? Mm -hmm. See, he says, walk worthy of the Lord. The second thing, he says, fully please him. Now, how many of you, when it says fully please him, instantly we break into performance mode. Like, oh, okay, I have to do something. I've got to be something. I've got I, I started, when I started, first started praying this, I was like, God, help me to please you. I, all I want to do is make you proud of me. And that night I went to sleep, Pastor Matt, and as I was sleeping, I, I don't want to say it was like this huge spiritual dream, but I, I had these, I have two daughters and one son, but it, it, when my daughters were small, they were involved in everything, gymnastics, dance, singing, I mean, everything. And we used to go to these things called recitals. You ever been to those recitals? <laughs> You just sit there and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> right? But you invite everybody. You invite your neighbors. You invite grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles. I mean, we look, we, we, we just would feel rows of people. We had cameras. And I'd invite CNN and Fox News. And then, <laughs> I mean, just record it. My kids are about to perform. And they would walk out. Well, in my dream, I had a dream that both of my daughters were the same age. And they were going, because dreams are strange. Not everything's prophetic. Sometimes it's just pizza. <laughs> but in this dream, both my little girls were going to be performing. One was going to be singing. The other one was going to be dancing. And all of a sudden, we had sat there, and I was just talking to everybody. And I'm like, man, get ready. It's going to be so good. They've been practicing. This is going to be awesome. But inside, I was nervous. I was like, please don't screw up. Please don't make dad look bad. Come on now. And all of a sudden, my little girl, I'll never forget, my, my daughter, Jaden, just little blonde, blue eyes. She comes out. She has this little beautiful tutu. And there's four girls on the stage. And they're getting ready for some ballet. And they play some. And she's like, hi, dad. And she's like, hey, that's my dad. And I'm like, that's my baby. Stop talking. And all of a sudden, they played the music. 
And all four girls started doing something totally different. I mean, they're all dads. Dad, hey, Dad, what's up? I was so proud. I was so, I'm like, that's my little girl. She, she going to be on America's Got Talent. She going to be on it. She going to do it. Oh, she can dance. Then all of a sudden, they usher them off stage. And then the next one, they, they come. They've got these choir lofts. And my daughter walks up Cameron. She's got curly brown hair, green eyes. And she's like, hey, Daddy, that's my dad right there. And I'm like, that's my little girl. And all of a sudden, they, she had this solo. They're all singing. And she gets up there. And all of a sudden, ah! And I'm like, she's going to be the next American Idol. Oh, my, the voice. I'm, I'm like the perspective. Turn around. Turn the chair around. There she is. And in this dream, I'm just like over the moon, just so excited, so proud. And all of a sudden, I wake up. Have you ever woke up out of a dream and you're like, what was that all about? <laughs> and all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to me. At that very moment, he says, how did you feel about your kids? And I'm sitting there like, what? And he was like, were you proud of them? Were you pleased with them? I said, God, I was. Why wouldn't I be? And he said, what made you proud? Was it their performance? Was it that they were perfect? Because they weren't. <laughs> God pulled a little Simon Cowell on me. <laughs> and he says, what made you proud of them? What made you pleased? And I said, they were mine. And he says, Jamie... You want to make me fully pleased with you? Then be fully mine. And all of a sudden, I had this image of God. See, he's never missed a performance of ours. And when we take the platform of life, God's like, that's my son. That's my daughter. And heaven quiets. And no matter how bad we really are, God's like, I am proud of you. He silenced the earth. To allow us to perform, but in reality, our performance isn't what makes him proud. What makes him pleased is that we are his. And the way that we are his is not that he chooses us only, but that we choose to love him back. See, you have to understand, no one in this room can ever look up towards heaven and say, God, I love you. Why? Because you didn't start the conversation. But every person in this room can look up to heaven and say, I love you too. Because he's already said it. See, he loved us while we were sinners. He loved us when we were our worst. And we're still wrestling with the fact, how could God love me? He already paid the price when we were our worst. And we think that we're going to be rejected because we do something wrong. God's saying, no, 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 no. I chose you at your worst, and I chose to love you all the way to my best. See, that's what happens when you get to know God. He says, walk worthy of the Lord, fully please him. And in order to fully please him, you're fully his. The third one is to be fruitful in every good work. Let me explain something. Every single one of us have tasks to do, and we are going to bear either bad fruit or we're going to bear good fruit. It is our job to produce good fruit. And we reproduce who we are. That's just natural. According to Genesis, it says bearing fruit that bears seed in its own likeness. 
That means basically if we have Christ inside of us, we need to produce fruit that's proving to the world he is who he said he is. We got to be fruitful in every good work. And then the fourth one is, is increase in the knowledge of God. Increase in the knowledge of God. Let me just define the word know. It means to perceive directly, to understand, to have an understanding, to an acquaintance, a familiar, familiarity, uh, an experience of. Can I tell you that the only satisfaction in, that you'll find in this life is in the pursuit of the knowledge of God? It's the only thing that will satisfy you. Can I tell you something else, though? God's looking and longing for someone to share his secrets with. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, ask me and I will tell you some remarkable secrets about what I'm wanting to do here. Do you know, now just travel back with me into the scriptures. Do you remember that there's only two men that in the entire scriptures ever had enough relationship and enough intimacy with God to say, show me your glory. And this isn't a knock on the worship team, but there are worship teams that have written songs saying, God, show me your glory. And the glory of God is the most intimate thing that he has. It's almost, I love what, uh, what uh, one of the preachers I, I listen to says. He says, asking God to show you his glory in a worship service is act, asking your bride to expose herself in front of, in everybody, in front of everybody in public. Mm-hmm. It's the most intimate thing he has, and he only exposes the intimate things to those people that are intimate with him. The only two people that ever said, God, show me your glory, were Moses and Elijah. The only two people on the mountain of transfiguration when the glory of God was revealed through his son. Right? Let's go back to Elijah for a second, though. He said, God, show me your glory. And all of a sudden, God showed him some things. You remember what he showed him? He saw a fire. And he said, I'm not in the fire. He felt an earthquake. And he said, this, no, I'm not in the earthquake. He felt a wind. And he said, I'm not in the wind. And all of a sudden, there was a still, small voice. And he's, the presence of God was in the still, small voice. And here's what I found out. Why is God's presence in the whisper? Because you only share secrets with people that are close enough to hear them. Come here. You don't yell secrets. You whisper them. So watch this for a moment. Why does God, why is God's presence in the whisper? Because you have to be close enough to hear. God wants you close. God wants you closer than you've ever been. You don't yell secrets. You whisper them. See, God's not, look, God's not looking for a girlfriend. He's looking for a bride. See, God's looking for an Enoch to walk with again. Someone that will walk with him and, and just get lost in him. So I'm going to give you a couple of, of strategic steps to take. But let me just define. Because whatever we desire, we have to be willing to seek, right? And to seek also means to pursue, and so the word pursue means to seek. It also <coughs> means to follow in order to overtake, to find or employ measures, to obtain, to accomplish, to proceed along, to engage. Here's my favorite definition of proceed. It means to chase. Let me ask you a question, beloved. Are you pursuing God? Are you chasing after God in such a way that you're going to catch him? Because like playing chase with God is like a child playing chase with their, with their, their, their dad. He's going to let them catch them. Why? Because who enjoys that being caught more than a parent being embraced by his children, right? So Jeremiah 29, verses 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found, watch this, by you. 
He didn't say there's an address. He didn't say you had to go somewhere special. He said, if you seek me, I'll be found by you. So in order to have success while in pursuit of the knowledge of God, there's five steps while we're in pursuit. And I'm going to ask you to write these down quickly. Number one, we must pursue God purposely. We must pursue God purposely. We must make up our minds to know him. See, that's why Paul wrote to a church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 14. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of just knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but one thing I do, I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. You know what I found out? What will stop your pursuit is your past. You've got to be willing to let go of the past in order to pursue his presence. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We must pursue God purposely. Number two is we must pursue God progressively. Progressively. To pursue or to know God is progressive every second, minute, hour, day, week, month, year. So much to learn. When I first gave my life to Jesus... I, there was this retired pastor. He, he came to church the next day and he dropped off a Bible. And it was, it was a Bible that he had bought at Walmart. And it was a new King James long, long, uh, large print Bible. And nothing. it was $9.96. I still remember it. And uh, it had 1,696 pages in it. And he wrote this down in a little sticky note. He said, if you read five pages a day, you'll never go back to who you used to be. He said, get the word in you. So I, I'm excited. I got a Bible. Like, I mean, it's not even fancy. I get this Bible and, and I open up the cover and there's this note. And it's written in the Bible and it says, the closer you get to God, the further you will realize you are away from him. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, the closer you get to God, the further you realize you're away from him. Here's what that means. I went hunting in Colorado and I killed this elk and it was a big old elk. And, and the crazy thing was... I didn't realize how far I had walked away from our camp until I went to make my way back carrying something. And somewhere I realized I had started in Colorado, but now I'm in Canada. Here's what that means. You don't know how far you walked away from God until you turn around to try to make your way back. We think it's going to be instantaneous, that we're going to be right where, where we need to be. No, it's a journey. Enjoy the journey. See, the pursuit of God will never end. The more you know, the more you desire to know. I, I, I absolutely love reading the scriptures. How many of you have ever started like reading the Bible again in the new year? And you come to something you've read probably a million times. You read it and you're like, where'd that come from? What do you mean John 3.16? <laughs> what is that? Where did that? I didn't even know that. But it's, it's new, it's fresh. You know why it's new and fresh? Because you're at a different place and it can be applied to your life. So the revelation of God's word is coming to you. The Holy Spirit is adapting it to your life. We need to pursue God purposely. We need to pursue God progressively. Number three, we need to pursue God personally. This is only through an active relationship with Jesus Christ. Scripture declares in John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
He said, if you really knew me, you would know the Father as well. You know what I found out is no matter how close we stand to Jesus or how much we're around him or how much we know about him, it doesn't count for knowing him. God, God desires us to know him, not just know about him. See, I, was, I, I travel out of Denver all the time, and one, one of my favorite players is Peyton Manning. I know a lot of statistics about him. I know a lot of things about him. And I, and I thought that that meant I, know, I knew him. And I saw Peyton Manning. I've seen him a couple times in the airport. And I'm like, hey, Peyton, what's up? You know what's so crazy is, even though I know a lot about him, he didn't even wave back. <laughs> he just kind of looked at me like I was a weirdo. True story, my, my son asked him, can I take a picture with you, Mr. Peyton? And Peyton Manning rolled his eyes at my son, so my son got ticked. And uh, he just was like, wow. He could have said, son, I can't do it now. He said he could have been polite, but he rolled his eyes at me. So Peyton saw how my son kind of got upset. And he didn't throw a fit or anything. He just kind of was confused. And Peyton said, no, come over here and take a picture. And so Peyton put his hand around my son and started smiling. And my son was ticked. And went home and ripped up his poster of Peyton Manning. You know why? Because a lot of times we put a whole lot into a relationship that we don't get a whole lot of back from. And we think we can sit in church and know a lot about God, know a lot about God, but if we're not spending time with him, we don't know him. That's good. See, no matter how close you stand to Jesus or how much you're around him, it does not count for knowing him. Knowing God is not a decoration that we wear, but a declaration of dependence that we declare. See, knowing God is personal. We must pursue him through uh, personally. Jesus is not worried about who other people say that he is, but who do you say that he is? Yeah. Right? Remember when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they're like, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, Jeremiah. And he says, but, okay, that's cool that everybody else says that, but who do you say that I am? And all of a sudden Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus looks at him and he says, nobody has told you that except for my Father in heaven. You know what's so crazy about that whole scenario? Jesus was not asking a question. God never asks a question to get information. He already knows the answer. He wants you to come to the conclusion of your answer. What? Who do people say that I am? He wanted Peter to step up and say, you are the Christ. Because something happens through that positive confession. The, third, the fourth way that we must pursue God is passionately. We must pursue him progressively. We must pursue him purposely. We must pursue him personally. Nobody else can pursue him for us. Not our pastors, not, not a worship team. We've got to do it ourselves. But the fourth way is we've got to pursue God passionately. And I'm going to, I may make some people mad, but it's not intentional. Yes, it is. <laughs> do you know that your spiritual life is the only thing that does not mature just with time? We had a school of ministry where kids literally sacrificed everything. I mean, I had kids walk away from D1 full-ride football scholarships to come pursue the call of God. And you know one of the rules was they had to handwrite the New Testament. I didn't want their translation. I just wanted them to copy it because I wanted their, them to understand the whole purpose of ministry is to allow the Word of God to flow through. I, I watched these kids grow. In a matter of two years, I would put these kids up against people that had been in church for 30 years. I had kids memorize over 500 scriptures 
I mean, they were pursuing God. They would spend anywhere from four hours to six hours at times in prayer. I mean, they saw miracles. But the one thing I wanted to teach them is, listen, this is not your relationship with God and your spiritual maturity is not based upon sitting in a chair week after week and just attending. It is about participating. It is about being a part of what God's doing. It's about being passionate for God. See, we will never pursue what we're not passionate about. You know why I still date my bride? You know why I still call her my bride? Because the Bible says that a contentious wife is like a dripping faucet. I don't want one of those. <laughs> Going on, next, next month, February 18th will be 24 years that we've been married. You know why I still call her my bride? Because she's still my bride. You know why I absolutely adore her? You know why I still date her? Because I'm passionately in love with her. And we will pursue what we're passionate about. That is why we have to pursue God. We must pursue God passionately, personally, progressively, and purposely. Number five, and I'm done right here. We must pursue God purely. Everybody say purely. purely. For who he is and not what he can give us. For who he is and not what he can give us. Do we worship God because he is the healer or because he heals us? Mm, because good. what happens if he doesn't heal us? Remember when the three Hebrew boys are about to be thrown into the fire and they said, do you think, King Nebuchadnezzar says, do you think that your God is stronger than, than my hand? Do you think that he can deliver you out of my hand? And they said, yes, we do. But even if he doesn't. <coughs> can I tell you, we've got to worship God in such a way that even if he doesn't answer another one of our prayers, he's already done enough. That our obedience is not dictated or reliant upon him doing anything for us. He's already done enough. And so therefore, we are 100% here. See there, you know what I found out as I've traveled in a lot of churches, there's a lot of Christian pickpockets. And the only reason they want to get close to God is not to find out what's in his heart, but to find out what's in his hands or in his pockets. Let me go ahead and get you up on the keys. When I first started traveling, my girls were five and three. And I would always just buy little trinkets, little stupid things. I mean, I bought spoons, I bought decks of cards, I bought pencils, t-shirts, just to let them know, hey, I'm thinking about you. And when I first went on the road, I mean, I would get home and they would tackle me. They would be like, oh, dad, don't you ever leave us again. Don't we love you? We missed you. And I'd be like, hey, I brought you some. And then after a while, they were so used to getting these gifts that all of a sudden they would say, hey, dad, we missed you. But what did you bring us? And then it got to the place like, hey, Dad, did you bring us anything? Oh, yeah, we're glad you're back. <laughs> and then one particular day, my bride picks me up at the airport. My two little girls are in the back seat, and we're, I'm just holding her hand. I'm just so glad to be there. We're driving home from the airport, and all of a sudden, I hear some commotion going on in the back. I'm just, just kids being kids, and, and all of a sudden, I hear, Whoosh. I look in the rearview mirror. It's my favorite shirt. Just got thrown outside. Then all of a sudden, pair of pants, gone. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I look in the rearview mirror, and my little girls are going through my suitcase, and they're like, Dad, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? I don't want her to find it. Let me find it first. And they're scrapping in my suitcase, throwing my clothes out. So the good dad that I am, I believe in spanking still. I pull over on the interstate. I pull over. 
pull over far enough, we're not going to get in any type of danger. And I get them out, and they're like, Daddy, we're so sorry, those Vegas, those Vegas. And I'm like, no. I grab their hands, we're walking the street. I'm watching semi-trucks run over my clothes. And I'm like, oh, God. And I run, I push them off by the fence, and I grab my clothes, and I hand it to them. They're just torn up, they're ruined. I hand it to them, and they're like, Daddy, we're so sorry. And these little girls are telling me things like, Dad, we'll buy you some new ones. With my money? <laughs> and I get them to the car, and they're like, Daddy, we're so sorry. Are you mad at us? And I said, I'm hurt. I said, there's a difference between anger and pain. I said, you hurt me today. I said, because I bought you something that is the most valuable thing I've bought you so far. And I reached in my pockets and I had these two little, these little jewelry boxes and I opened them up and they were gold heart lockets that had it engraved. Daddy loves you and he is with you always. And I said, I was going to give these to you. I said, but my rule was I had them in my bag and I said, I had to check my bag. So I put them in my pocket and I said, I was going to give them to you, but you had to hug me first and you didn't even hug me yet. And I said, and that's why you didn't get them. And my little girl, Cameron, curly hair. She looked like Shirley Temple. She's like, daddy, I love you. And I said, no, you don't get it. You don't get my heart now. She's like, but daddy, show and tell is on Wednesday. This is like Sunday night, but dad, show and tell is on Wednesday. Please let me have your heart. I said, no, you don't deserve it. They get in the car and I mean, they're just weeping. I didn't have to spank them. Weeping, Pastor Matt. And you've seen my girls. So watching my girl cry is like ripping my heart out. I got the spanking. And all of a sudden we get home and I the cruel dad that I am, I got a big book and I open up the lock and I put it on their dresser and I told them, you can't have it, you can't touch it, all you can do is look at it. Well, that went through a couple days and on Tuesday night, I walk into my daughter Jaden's room and or I walk into my daughter Cameron's room and she's standing there on her tiptoes looking at this and all of a sudden she hears me and she runs and jumps into bed and I said, what were you doing? She was like, nothing. I said, no, what were you doing? She's like, Dad, tomorrow is show and tell. Please, please, please let me have that locket. I want to take it to my friends. I want to show them what you bought me. I said, baby girl, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. And she was like, but Dad. And she started to cry. And all of a sudden, my little girl, Jaden, she was eight at the time. She walks in and she's got that. You know what I'm talking about? standing there and her hair's all messed, it's not dripping and she has her hands open and she's like, Daddy, I am so sorry. She says, you know what, Dad, you can take this back because you're right, I probably don't deserve it. She said, maybe you can get your money back, but Daddy, you need to understand something. You don't have to give me a piece of jewelry to let me know that you love me and that you're with me always. I know that. Why? Because, Daddy, I have your heart and you have my heart. And I'm like, Oh. And I said, get down on your knees. And she's like, well, why? And I'm like, get down on your knees. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, lift up your hair. And I'm trying to open up this box to get this necklace out. I'm like, oh. And Cameron's like, what is he doing? I'm like, and I take this necklace out. And she's like, oh, dad, you can take mine back after tomorrow. I'm sorry. You got my heart. I think I got yours. And she's trying to remember. She's fine. And all of a sudden, I looked at her and I said, you get it. It wasn't about my presence. It was about my presence. 
And in order to get it, it wasn't about receiving a gift. It was about an understanding. Do you know how many churches go without the heart of God all because they're waiting for something tangible, something that visible, instead of just something that they can say, God, I know I get your heart because you already have my life. That's what David declared. One thing I will seek. It's the only thing I desire. I've had riches. I've had I've had wealth, I've had success, I've had a, a great career. But one thing I desire, God, and that one thing I will seek, I will, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And instantly when God said, then seek my face, that's why he said, watch his words, my heart said unto you. He didn't say my mouth. He didn't say my mind. He didn't say his hands or his feet. He said my heart said unto you, Lord, your face will I seek you. Would you stand up all over this place? I believe that God's wanting to reveal his heart to this church and to you as a congregation and to you as a people. But this is just a place where we can come and draw near to God. I left that bedroom that that night, my bride said she walked in. She said it's the most God she's ever felt, ever. And all it was was gold necklaces. But I left that bedroom, Pastor Matt, and we were walking through some tough things in our, in our ministry. And I grabbed my Bible and I went into my room and I got down on my knees and I said, God, if I haven't told you lately, Lord, my heart's still yours. And I am so sorry that I've made it after your presence instead of your presence and I said God let me not let me not pursue signs or wonders or even miracles or money or fame God let there let my whole ministry and my whole life be marked by one thing that if Jamie has a reputation it will be that he sought the face of God so this is what we're going to do church we're going to just have a little old-fashioned prayer meeting that doesn't mean that you have to come forward, but it does simply invite you to spend some time in prayer because I believe that God's wanting to reveal himself to you and he wants you to know him like never before. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to know him progressively. He wants to know you, him, you to know him passionately and purely. He wants you to know him purposely. That we're going to make up our mind in 2019 that we're going to know God, not just know about Him. So this is what we're going to do. She's going to be on this on these keys for the next few moments. I'm going to ask everybody. I'm going to ask people that are willing. Would you come? Would you come and spend some time at this altar? Would you come and just spend some time up here? Just maybe you're kneeling. Maybe you're standing. I'm going to just kind of prepare some things. Would everybody is willing to come and just spend some time with God? And all you're going to be doing is saying, God, I want to know you. I want to know your voice. I want to know your touch. But God, more importantly, I want to know what your voice sounds like. I want to know what your heartbeat sounds like. I want to know what your face looks like. Because God, I'm not after what you can give me. I'm just after you. So come on, church. Come on. Come on. Come on right now. This is the altar call. This is the only one you get. This is the only call you get. 
I'm going to invite everybody that's in this room that's willing to spend the next 5, 10, 15 minutes in prayer. Come on forward. Come on. You don't have to be, but at least spend some, whether you turn around and kneel down in your chair, whether you stand up and raise your hand, whether you begin to walk around this room, just begin to find a place to meet with God.